now in the, in the, we're beginning today the second letter of, of understanding the good news, the good news in four letters. So we finished up uh, before uh, the Resurrection Sunday, we finished up Galatians. And so now we're going to begin to dig into Ephesians, but we still have the same focus, good news in four letters. We're, we're seeking to understand the good news of God. Now, what we need to know is that good news, the, the word it means is gospel, means good news, and everyone has a gospel. Everyone has something they believe is true and right and best that defines them, that drives their affections and determines how they live. And it's very, very important that everyone be honest and know what good news, what gospel they're believing. Because as you can hopefully say with me now, the gospel you believe determines the the life that you live. Because again, whatever you're believing is good, right, and best, it's going to drive your thinking, your affections, and ultimately your actions. Now, what the Bible teaches uh, is the good news. The good news of God is the power of God to save us from the punishment and power of sin so that we have peace with God, peace within, peace with others. It changes our identity. It changes our reason for living. It it changes the, the most important aspects of our reality. And so this gospel truly is good news. So what we're going to begin studying as we're walking through this letter, this this book of Ephesians, is the good news revealed. The good news revealed. And and I'm going to give you a definition. I'm going to say something about this revelation. And if you're not a born-again believer, I am in no way, uh, this is in no way meant to be critical of you. This is in no way to be demeaning to you. It's, it's just a statement about the spiritual reality that exists between those who are born again and those who are not. So I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to do this every week, but this, the start of this series, I, I want to walk a little bit through this definition and understanding. So understand, I'm going to put it on the screen. The good news of God, that is the gospel, allows believers, those who've repented of self-sufficiency, of sin, of selfishness and trusted in the, in, the, in the completed salvific work of Jesus Christ, believers in Jesus Christ. So the good news of God allows believers to know the plans and desires that God has revealed for his people. To know the plans and desires that God has revealed for his people, you must be born again. You must be a believer. If you're not a believer, you can read the Bible. You can listen to this sermon. You can understand most of of maybe the concepts of what I'm presenting, but you cannot perceive the reality. This is how Jesus said it. This is Matthew chapter 13, verse 14. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, you will indeed hear, but never understand. And you will indeed see, but not perceive. See the distinction there. See, but not perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull. And with their ears, they can barely hear. And their eyes, they they have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn. And I would heal them, that is, save them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see. And your ears, for they hear. Over the years, I, uh, I have been told by family in, in a very pejorative way, I might, I might note, that I'm blind. I've been told in no uncertain terms, you are blind. Now, I would argue the case, I can see. My, my eye doctor is here right now and he will vouch for that. Now, I, 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 I need contacts 
And I, I also now, I'm understanding, I'm needing uh, another level of, of reading. We were at dinner last night, the bill came, and I had to ask the waiter what that said. How much was that? Because I had to take his word for it because I couldn't see it for nothing. So I need my readers. I get that. Okay, but I can see. But here's the reality. If, if someone in my family were to say, here's where something is. If I said, I'm, I'm looking for this object. If they were to lead me to the place exactly where that object is, there is a 90% possibility that I would not perceive it's there. And then I would say, I don't see it. Can someone help me? Can someone show me? Because obviously, and then they walk up and they hand it to me, all right? And now what happened there? I could see, but I could not perceive the reality. And so it is with the revelation of God. You can see the words, you can hear what I'm communicating, but you can't perceive the reality of, of God's plan and God's desire unless you're born again. Again, you could read the word of God and see the work of God, but not perceive the reality of God. What we're going to do in this series is we're going we're going to, to look at the gospel, the good news revealed, the revelation of God about his good news. And you have to understand if you've not repented and believed the gospel, if you've not been transformed by the, the good news, this, this revelation, you may see it, you may hear it, but you can't perceive the reality of it. And, and that's what we're going to do as we study now the book of Ephesians. If you've got your Bible, and I, I hope that you do, when you come to Living Hope, always bring a Bible. And if you don't have a Bible, there's probably one in the pew in front of you. Use it and, and take it home with you. We, we have more. Let's go to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians um, is, is there in the New Testament. Uh, while you're turning there, let me tell you some things about, about the book of Ephesians. It was written by the Apostle Paul while he was imprisoned in Rome. So just a little, if you want to do a little background, uh, the last few verses in Acts chapter 28 describe the time when the Apostle Paul was writing this letter to the church at Ephesus. And Paul had invested a great deal at the, in the church at Ephesus. As a matter of fact, if you want to go back and read Acts chapter 19, Acts chapter 19 describes the ministry of the Apostle Paul to the church at Ephesus and the fact that he had spent three years there and his influence and the influence of the gospel was so strong that it began to affect the economy, the way people spent money, and it caused a riot to occur. So these people, they were said, have come and they've turned the whole world upside down with their preaching. And that's what Paul was doing with the, the preaching, this power of the gospel that, that saves. Now, Paul wrote this letter to, to many people he knew and didn't know because after he left Ephesus, he of course went on to Jerusalem where he was arrested and then he was shipped there to, um, to Rome. And so several years had passed, but the church had continued to grow. So there were, there were gospel shares that were going on and there were new churches that were now gathering in the name of Jesus there in Ephesus. And so the, the letter that Paul's writing to are, are people that he knew and some he didn't know because the church was growing. He, he loved all of them, and it's so clear in his communication, but he had a particular love for the, for the Ephesian elders. And if you want to see a, a strong call of, of what, it, what is demanded of the elder of a local church, go and read Paul's message to the Ephesian elders when they met on Miletus. And so this was an area where Paul summoned the Ephesian elders because I think he was afraid to go back to Ephesus thinking he would never leave because he loved them so much. 
So he invited them to come to Miletus where he talked to them about what their responsibilities were, what they needed to be aware of, dangers that would be ahead. And and it was a a powerful calling. And so what we see in in our text in this letter in particular is, is Paul speaking to all of them. Now, let me give you just a real quick overview. And this is general, it's generic. If you look at, at Ephesians chapter one through three and just glance at it real quick, what you're going to notice there is this is primarily doctrine. Doesn't mean that there, there's not a practical application. It's primarily doctrine. Now, if you look at chapters four through six, what you'll realize is that this is primarily pragmatic because of what you believe. This is how you will indeed live. And so you'll, you'll see uh, how to relate to one another as family, as husband and wife, within the church, within culture. And then, of course, chapter six, uh, it's how you engage in spiritual warfare and, and what it is we do, what it is we believe and what it is God has provided for us to be able to engage our our enemy, this evil of this present age. And so looking forward to getting into all of that. But today we're going to look at the first two verses. So go back to Ephesians chapter one. We're going to be looking at verses one and two. And and what we're going to see here is is God's blessing revealed. Let's all stand together in honor of God's word. Savannah's going to come and read for us again. We're in Ephesians chapter one. And she's going to read for us our, our focus verses, verses one and two. Go ahead, Savannah. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Savannah. Thank you. If you would be seated and pray now for the preaching of God's word. So we're talking about Revelation. Uh, Revelation is given to communicate, to to make something clear. You know, one of the happiest days of a married couple's life is when they find out that they're having a baby. And and nowadays, they they, they like to have these revelation parties. They they, they call them gender reveals. How many of you have ever heard of a gender reveal? How many of you have ever been to a a gender reveal? Okay, so this is is really a a popular thing. So I've seen a few of these, uh, but the, the best one I've ever seen, all right, was, was that of, of Elliot and Savannah Pratt. Uh, Elliot is a minister on our staff. Savannah is a minister at the Pregnancy Center. And, um, and so they wanted to reveal the gender of their child. And so uh, Elliot has some friends uh, and they, they wrestle or as, as should be rightly said, they're wrestlers, all right? And one was wearing pink and one was wearing blue. And the winner was, was, the, was, was the revelation of the the, 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 the gender, okay, the sex of the, of, of the baby. And, and there's a lot to it. And I could go on explaining it to you, but I thought you should just see it. So let's watch the gender reveal of the, of the Pratt baby. (laughs) 
so they're having a girl. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's good, it's good. You know, it, it, just a heads up on this though. If you ever go to one of these gender reveal parties, it's very important that you understand the purpose. What, what, why are you there? You're there to, to understand the gender of the baby to be born. Apparently there's an, an older gentleman that went to one of these gender reveals and um, he couldn't figure out why he was the only one not wearing clothes. <laughs> you got to know whose gender we're interested in revealing, all right? It's, it's very important information right there, okay? You got to be real careful, all right? And be careful who you invite to these gender reveals, all right? Maybe want to be a little more descriptive on the invitations, all right? What's going on there? Well, what we have in, in, the, in all of Scripture, but in, in the letter to the, the church at Ephesus, is we have this revelation. And, and, and the purpose, and I want to make sure we understand this, the, the purpose is, 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 has to do with us, but it's not about us. The purpose has to do with us, but it's not about us. What is it about? What is the revelation about? It's about what everything is about. It's about the glory of God. The revelation of the good news is about the glory of God. And as we understand the greatness and the goodness of God, because there is no one greater, there is no one better, there is, there is no steadfast love like the love of God revealed in Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. And, and God's desire is that we would know and live for what is best and true. And so for God's glory, he makes this revelation, but for our blessing. And what we see in our text today is, is we see the, this great blessing that is ours and what is revealed. There's four things, four blessings in particular uh, that I, that I want to show you that I see in the text today. And the first one is this, the will of God, the will of God. For those who are born again, those who have repented and believed the gospel, because of the gospel, the gospel reveals the will of God. Look what the Apostle Paul says here in verse 1. He says that he is an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. God has a will for every born-again believer in the kingdom of God. Friends, Jesus Christ did not come and live a holy life to die and suffer an atoning death and to be raised from the dead so that we would just wander through life looking for our best life now. Jesus Christ came so that we can be freed, so that we can live out the power of the gospel and the blessing it brings in the will of God. The, the will of God comes as we understand his way. The will of God is only discernible. And this, again, I'm not wanting to be critical. I'm in no way, don't, if you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, I'm not picking on you. I just want you to understand what the Bible says. And the Bible makes it very clear that you cannot perceive, you cannot discern the will of God if you're not born again. So look at the command here. This is Romans chapter 12, verse two. This is an imperative. Do not be conformed to this world. He's speaking to born again Christians and he's saying to us who believe, do not be conformed. Do not go along with the teaching of the world. Do not go along with what the world is going along with, but be transformed. This is supernatural. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind. It's a change that takes place when you're born again that by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. 
All who have entrusted themselves to Jesus Christ have been given a new heart and mind. The, the Holy Spirit of God is alive in us. We have the presence of Jesus. And because of that, we're able to discern the will of God according to the word of God. We're able to know what God demands, what God desires, what his plan is. And we can walk in his way. We can engage in what he's doing. Now, if you're not a born again believer, let me, let me tell you what your perception of reality is. You already know this, but let me just go ahead and, and, and put it in some, some terms that have helped me, helped me understand myself before I came to know Jesus Christ. Every person who's not born again, your will, what you're living for, what you desire comes under one of four headings, power, pleasure, popularity, possessions. Those are your only options. You need those to define you. You need those to give you a purpose, power, pleasure, popularity, possessions, having stuff, having people give you likes on, on social media, applauding you, telling you how great you are, being able to be in control of, of circumstances and things, being able to feel and to enjoy things and be driven by, by the pleasures and the desires of what you want. That, that's all you got. But for those who are born again, we, we gain something that is bigger than us. It's beyond us. And I want to say this to those of you who believe like I do. You will not be able to accomplish God's will in and of yourself. God's will is that you have a life that demands the assistance of the Almighty, that demands the community of God's people, that demands your, your ability to discern what the Word of God says to your life in your circumstances and, and apart from it, you will, you will never have it. So what, what in essence I'm saying is God's wills for your life is going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. It's going to be painful. It's going to demand sacrifice and humility because you're going to have to live for something that's bigger than you, that's better than you. Something that's beyond what you could do in and of yourself alone. This is the will of God, that you live a life of significance, a life that belongs eternally, a, 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 a life that, that, that causes something to happen, not only in you, but through you by the power of God. This is the will of God. It's one of the great blessings of God. Secondly, another blessing revealed by God's good news is the consecration of God. The consecration of God. What, what is that word? Why do I use that word? Uh, look at who the letter is addressed to in chapter one, verse one. Second part says to the saints, to the, to the hagios. That's where we get our, our word holy, um, who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. See, all who repent of self-sufficiency, who repent and turn away from sin and, and trust in the saving work of Jesus Christ we are made holy. We are made righteous. We don't, we don't earn righteousness. We don't become righteousness by our efforts. We are made righteous by faith. We, we celebrated this last Sunday, 2 Corinthians 5.21. For our sake, he made him, that is Jesus Christ, to be sin. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin. The Holy One, God in flesh, never sinned became sin. He took our sin on himself 
And the wrath of God was poured out in him so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. He took our sin on himself and he died with that sin on him. That's why it's fully paid. But because he's been raised and he's alive and he's holy and he will live in us, we are made righteous by his indwelling presence. We are made holy. We are saints. We are the hagias. We, we are consecrated. That is, we are set apart. We are set apart to God, for God alone. You know, men are funny creatures, if you didn't know this already. We're weird in so many wonderful, wonderful ways. So, you know, grown men will be in an athletic competition and they'll share a water bottle and not think anything about it. But if, but if men are having lunch together, there's some lines that need to be, to be acknowledged and respected. I, I was out with some friends not too long ago for lunch and I'd ordered a water. But in, in the time when, when the, 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 the drinks had been ordered and came back, I thought I'd ordered a diet, uh, or not a diet, I don't drink diet, Coke Zero. There's a difference, one is better, Coke Zero is. It's not from the Bible, I'm just, that's free. So I thought I had ordered it. So I, I, there, was, there was this brown liquid fizzling, you know, fizzing up. So I drank it and I realized that's Dr. Pepper. Well, that's weird. Well, I don't care. It's good. So I kept drinking it. And then as I was drinking, I was thinking, I thought I ordered a water. And I looked over at my friend and he was just shaking his head. He's like, I was wondering how long it was going to make you realize. I was like, oh man, I'm sorry. I broke the rule. We can share a water bottle in a sporting event. But when it comes to lunch, each drink is consecrated to each man. It belongs to them. It is not to be shared. It is set apart for theirs. They chose it. It's theirs. And so it is for those of us who are in Christ. We have been chosen by the Father to be his children. We have been saved by the Son. We have been bought at a price and we have been made his. So we are set apart. We are consecrated. We are holy. We are made saints in the kingdom of God. And we are for him. We are for his glory. We are, we are for his purpose. And we are given this glorious life to live faithfully in him. Third, Third, another blessing revealed by God's good news is third, the salvation of God. The salvation of God. So you see there at the beginning of verse two, grace to you and peace. The, the greatest of all God's blessings is, is the salvation of God. And so the salvation of God is not something that any of us deserves. It's nothing we can earn. It's given to us by grace. Grace, unmerited favor, something that we could never in and of ourselves uh, prove worthy of to God. God being holy and infinite, us being finite and dirty sinners. We could never dig ourselves out of the, out of the spiritual hole uh, of, of darkness that, that we dug for ourselves. But Christ can and has because he entered into that hole and, and he, he provided the way out. And so now, for those of us who repent and believe the gospel, our sin is forgiven. And now, because our sin is forgiven, we have peace with God. We are no longer liable for our sin because when Jesus Christ died, our sin was placed on him. And when he died, the penalty of our, of our, of our sin died with him. But because he was raised again, he's now alive. So not only do we have peace with God, we have peace within 
We're, we're good with us because Christ is alive in us and we are defined by his presence. This is very important. Uh, uh, there's a lot of, uh, of people that, I, uh, that are Christians who put a descriptor in front of the word Christian that is not appropriate. As a Christian, you are defined by the presence of Jesus Christ, period. You are not defined by the color of your skin. You're not, you're not defined by the desires of your flesh. You're not defined by what you've done. And you're not defined by what, what's been done to you. If you are in Christ Jesus and your sin has been forgiven and he's alive in you, you're defined by Jesus Christ. Now, all those other things, where you're from, the culture you come from, the desires that, that tempt you, the, the, the things that are going on around you that have happened to you that you've maybe done, they don't define you. Jesus Christ defines you. And those are things that have happened to you. There's, there's, a, there's a young young person in our church I was concerned about who was injured recently. And I asked him, I said, how, how are you doing? He said, I'm good. I said, are you sure? Are you really? He's like, this sport does not define me. If I never play again, I know who I am. I said, boy, I'm gonna make you give a testimony. You better watch out. That's strong, isn't it? That's strong for a young person to understand. He's, this young man's not defined by what he does. He's not defined by what he has. He's defined by the presence of Jesus Christ in his life. And that is true for all believers. And that's what we have in Jesus Christ. Peace with God, peace within, peace with others. We have peace with others because we forgive the way we've been forgiven. We love the way we've been loved. And it changes our relationships, changes our relationship with God, with ourselves, with others. It is a glorious blessing. Last, last. There's this blessing by God's good news it is the, the leadership of God, the leadership of God. So if, if you would, uh, there's two words I want you to circle there in verse two. And I, I want you to circle them and, and just draw attention to them because typically you're probably like me as you'd read them and just pass right by them and not think another thing about it. These two words give a descriptor of the leadership that we have from, from God. Notice the first one, father. Notice the second one, Lord. This tells us of the leadership that, that we are provided. First of all, God the Father. Biblically speaking, a father is the leader. He's the one who sacrifices himself for all the others. That, that is the provider who, who is willing to, to give all, to, to give care for his wife and, and offspring. This is the, the one who, who leads with love. And, and so God... He reveals himself this way. God the Father, the one who loves us no matter what, the one who cares for us, the one who provides and, and, and wants what is best for us. And then Lord. Jesus is Lord. He is king. He is sovereign. He is ruler. He is chief. He is emperor. He is Lord. Now, this, this phrase, Jesus is Lord, most of us in this room are so familiar with the term, we don't think twice about it. We, we have no problem in praying, Lord Jesus Christ, and we don't, we don't really think a lot about it, but we need to. We need to. Because what caused and has caused and will continue the, to cause the, the great consternation and conflict between Christians and our culture is the Lordship of Jesus Christ. 
To say Jesus is Lord is to say everything. It's to say he is right, he is true, he's in control. He defines what is true and best. He defines what I do and what, what I'm allowed and what I'm not allowed. Our culture hates that. And, and so what we have and what we're, what we're living in and what, what all of our brethren for millennia have lived in is in pagan cultures, pagan cultures. Now, when I use the word pagan, most people immediately put a religious connotation to the sense of that word. So when I, said, when I say the word pagan, how many of you immediately think that's a religious term? Show of hands, that's kind of a religious thing. You're pagan or you're Christian, you're pagan. So it's a religious thing. You know, that was not always the case. This is interesting. I'm gonna geek out with you for just a minute. So Augustine, uh, around the, the fourth century, he began to use the word pagan as we understand it today. Before then, it had a, it had a different use. Uh, this is, uh, for light reading, uh, the Cambridge compag uh, com uh, Companion to Augustine, City of God. Quick read. If you can't ever sleep, there's your book. So, but look at this term. Let's, look, this is really interesting. Look what it says here. In fact, the term pagan takes on a religious context only in the 8370s. Originally used to refer to a civilian as opposed to a soldier who did not serve the emperor. Paganus is employed by Latin Christians to denote their own exclusivity by identifying those not sharing in the honor of serving Christ, the true emperor. So it was Augustine that began to take seriously uh, 2 Timothy 2. Look what it says here. This is 2 Timothy 2, 3 through 4. It says, share in sufferings as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets engaged in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. Pagans are people who do not have a loyalty to the true king, Jesus Christ. So what do we see happening in our culture today is the same thing that has been happening in cultures for years and why Christians are often persecuted is because what culture typically says is anything goes. If you feel it, it's fine. If the moral, if the not moral, if the majority says it's good, if the government says it's good, if the influencers and the entertainment industry says it's good, it's good. And that's what you should just accept and get on with it. This is not just true in our day. It's been true in every day. That there are pagans who, who do not want to hear you say Jesus is Lord. See, here's what would happen in the day of Paul. Typically, a person would go to another city. And let's say, for instance, Paul went to Corinth once. And, and if you ever go to Corinth, what you'll realize is that there is a, a, a fertility deitist there. And, and the expectation was when you come to Corinth, you worship that, that deity, Aphrodite. And so you can imagine what those worship practices, what kind of immorality that would in involve. Now, when Paul went to Ephesus, uh, the, 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 the God they worshiped there was Artemis. And if you read in Acts 19, this riot occurred because, because Paul was preaching Jesus is Lord. And they flipped out, went nuts because it was going against what the culture demanded. Friends, as Christians, we are often going to be at odds with our culture. And, and if you are not at odds with the culture, if you are accepting of the culture and Jesus is not your Lord, let me tell you something about your Lord. And by the way, again, we all have a Lord. We all have a leader. Your Lord, your leader is the one who gives you your good news. 
I said at the beginning of this, everyone has a gospel. Everyone has good news. Whoever gives you your good news, that's your leader, that's your Lord. So if, you're, if your good news is that you can act on whatever you physically desire, whoever says that and gives you that, that's your leader, that's your Lord. If, if yours is the person who gives you or the, the created thing that gives you power, the created thing that makes you feel important, the, the created thing uh, that gives you pleasure or, or possessions, that's your Lord. That's who you serve. That's where you draw your identity. I'm gonna tell you something about that created thing that is your Lord, that is your leader. It does not love you. You are only important to that thing so long as you give that thing what it wants. Authority and power to control you. Let me tell you the difference between Jesus, Lord, and all others. He loves you. He loved you before you were born. He has loved you with an eternal love that will never stop. He wants what is the very best for you. He wants you to know what is true. He, he will not lie to you. He will be painfully honest. He will demand that you stop doing things that are harmful to you and rob him of glory and begin to do things that honor him and bless you, not because he needs you to, but because he wants you to, because he loves you. Friends, everybody in this room has a Lord. And if Jesus Christ is not your Lord, the Lord you are serving is hurting you. You have an eternal soul. And, and that Lord, that thing that you're counting on will not last and ultimately will be your demise. Turn to Jesus Christ. Make Jesus your Lord. Receive his grace and mercy. Be transformed by his presence. Get a new identity in him. Live for what is best, him. And you will be blessed. Let's stand together as we pray. Care leaders, if you would come forward. Father, I can't help but know that there are some who are here today who cannot say honestly that Jesus is Lord. If they're honest, their flesh is Lord, their culture is Lord, their Instagram and uh, favorites. They can't, they can't go very much time without looking at their phone to see if they're being affirmed by their Lord. Their, their team, their sport is their Lord. It's a terrible Lord. Oh, Jesus, I pray that you will save some today, that they will, they will turn from sin and created things, and instead they will be defined by your love. They will be forgiven of their sin by your sacrifice, and, and that they will live in your life. You are alive. And I pray today that they will, they will tell you that they are sorry, that they will receive your leadership into their life, and they will be saved. Father, I pray for, for some who are here today who say Jesus is Lord, but they don't live like it. They, they claim you, but they go with the culture. And I pray today they would repent and just come and pray. And I know that there are many today who need help. Help trusting you as Lord. Help believing you are Lord. Help just navigating decisions that are ahead. And so hear them as they pray. And, and as they pray, we praise you because you are worthy, because you are so good.
Jesus' name, amen. Come and pray. Let's sing together. Thank you.